But one of the things we're going to do is we're going to start a study on the book of Acts. And the Acts is, is, is an interesting book. And if you've got your Bibles, you can open them to there. If you don't have Bibles, you can raise your hand and one of the guys will bring them to you. But in the book of Acts, actually, one of the things that we learn is one of the purposes for writing it was is because the people were unsteady. We find that in Luke 1.4 where one of the words that he uses is, is that I'm writing this to you, he says, Because I don't want you to be unsteady in your faith. I want you to be steady in your faith. I'm writing this to this group of people. This was Dr. Luke, and he's saying, I'm doing it for this reason, to steady you. Because I don't care who you are or where you're at in life, life can hit you, and it can hit you hard, and we get unsteady. We don't know why this group of Christians that he's writing to were unsteady. The the Bible never tells us why they were unsteady. It could have been persecution, but it was before Nero came along in 64. It could have been when the whole world kind of fell apart for, for the Jewish and also the Jewish Christians in 70 AD when Jerusalem fell. It could have been heresy. It could have been all kinds of things. And I love the fact that Dr. Luke never tells us why. He just says, I'm writing this to you to steady you. In the midst of life, This story that we believe in steadies us. See, all throughout the book of Luke, it's talking about this Jesus who was born to a virgin who came onto the scene. And when he came onto the scene in the midst of a chaotic world to a group of people, everything seemed so chaotic. And in comes Jesus who seemed so steady. One of my favorite stories is when they're all chilling in the boat. Storm comes up, right? And there's Jesus sleeping. Who does that? The dudes are going crazy. And they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? And I love how it's just like, where's your faith? Is what he says to him. Stands up on the bow. Peace be still. I'll go back to bed now. I mean, it's just like, what in the world? Steady. It tells the story of a God who's in control. And what Luke's going to do in the book of Acts with these groups of Christians is going to show how it is that Jesus steadies people. He's going to steady this group of apostles that are sitting, and you've got to take it back at the end of the story, right? Jesus has just died. They banked all their hopes on him. They're trying to figure out what in the world happened with him dying. And all of a sudden, he comes back from the dead, and they must be thinking to themselves, first of all, how in the world did this take place, but now what are we going to do? And Jesus has to steady them. In fact, when you look in verses 1 through 3 in Acts 1, you'll see this. He hung out with them for 40 days, just being with them, kind of all over Judea at the time, being with them and settling them. It says he began to recount, look in verse 1, he he began to recount these things that he taught and that he did. See, all throughout the book of Luke, and this is what he's beckoning back to, Dr. Luke is, is that he's beckoning back into this idea of what Jesus was talking about, which was the kingdom of God. You'll see this down at the bottom of verse 3. Does everybody see that? He'd been preaching to them over and over again this idea of the kingdom of God. Whenever he talks about the kingdom of God in the book of Luke, what he means is is God's good reign and God's good rule. He sat with them for 40 days And just reminded them over and over and over again what happened on the cross and what happened in the tomb and me coming back. I'm presenting to you something that's new and something that's better. And he preached to them the kingdom of God. But the other thing I love about the book of Luke isn't what he just taught, it's what he did. 
Who's seen a guy like this before? In fact, it talks about his teaching. Everybody was confounded by it. Who is this guy, they were saying, that opens up the scriptures like he does and just begins to to present them to us with such power and clarity? Why? Because it was Jesus and he was steadying everything. Not only that, but in Luke 4, we find out that early on, people start going, this guy must have something about him. So they start bringing people to him that are diseased, all kinds of diseases. And here's this guy that's championing the good reign of Jesus Christ. And the way that he reigns over it is, is that everybody that gets brought to him that's diseased, he heals them. <sighs> Story moves along, Acts 8. We find out that not only is he Lord over healing, but then we find out that he's Lord over all of the elements. He stands and he calms a storm in front of these guys. He's Lord over demons and he casts them out of people. He's Lord over every last thing, including raising people up from the dead. And the issue is that we're looking at this is who is he? This Jesus was the one who steadied it because he presented himself now in the greatest act ever when he was resurrected and demonstrated for who he was. He was wasn't just anybody he was king jesus he steadied everything when the guys were around jesus did you notice that that everything just became steady man peter i love the dude whenever he's around jesus he believes he can do anything jesus looks at him and says peter who do people say that i am peter steps up in front of you are the christ the living god it's who you are Jesus goes, don't get smart. Nobody revealed that to you. I did. He's out in the boat. Jesus says, come to me, Peter. What does he do? He comes to him. At the very end, when Jesus is there in front, he's about to get taken out to be crucified, it says that Peter grabbed a little dagger and was going to take on the praetorian guard with a dagger. When he was around Jesus, he just steadied. In fact, if you read the whole book of Luke, this is who he was. In the first three verses, what Luke's trying to do in the book of Acts is he's trying to just bring these people in and present to them this Jesus that came out of the book of Luke, that the thing that we have to understand about him is that everything that he stepped into, he just steadied it. That's who he was. Verse 4, he's going to now answer for him another way in which he's going to steady things. He says to them this, he says, while he was with them, he says this, don't depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, he's talking about steadying. What's he going to say now? Well, in the first case, it's just Jesus with the guys, but he'd already told the guys, I'm leaving. In John 14 through 16, right, he comes to the guys and says, I got to get out of here. I'm going to go to be with the Father. They look at him and say, you can't go. And he goes, no, this is a good thing that I'm going. I'm going to get out of here. But the thing that he now comforts them with and he steadies them with is, is that I'm going to send another. Guys, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Stay there. See, more than likely what had happened is is that these guys were kind of going around with Jesus. In fact, we find them in Galilee. We find them on on the Mount Olivet. We find them in these different places. We'll even see in verse 12, they've got to go back to Jerusalem. And he says, no, you need to get back to Jerusalem because something special is going to happen to you when you get back to Jerusalem. Not many days from now is his point is the Spirit is going to fall upon you. 
I'm going to steady you. Now, this idea of the Spirit would have conjured up all kinds of thoughts inside of their head. What does it mean that the Spirit is going to fall upon us? We can see down in there in verse 4 that it was something that was a promise of the Father. See, look up at the screen. The promise of the Father we find like in Ezekiel. Chapter, can you get there? There we go. Chapter 36. They would have known that I will sprinkle clean water on you and you should be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you, he says, a new heart and watch this, a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's steadying them. The Father from long ago promised there's going to come a time where my spirit is going to land inside of you and when he does, things are going to get steadied. I'm going to do something inside of you. We also see it in the book of Joel, chapter 2. It says, it'll come pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. He's saying to them, do you understand, guys? There's something big that's about ready to happen here. I'm going to steady you. I was with you and I steadied you while I was with you. You saw the Spirit came upon me. In fact, in Luke, at the very beginning of it, it says that when John the Baptist baptized him, the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And then in Luke 4 and 5, it's Jesus and the power of the Spirit going and doing all these different things. And then in John 1, through 34, he says, not only John looks at Jesus and says, that one right there, I baptize with water, but that guy, when everything's said and done, he's gonna baptize you with the Spirit. There's something that powerful it's going to happen to you guys he's steadying them and what happened Jesus promised in Luke 14 12 he said when I send I'm going to send another John 14 26 he's going to be a comforter John 15 26 he's going to come into your life and he's going to stir you to what I've called you to do John 16 he's this one that's going to be with you forever and ever and will never be taken away from you the guys would have been sitting there and it's not just something that new was happening it was this new in fact we're going to find out in the book of Jeremiah 31 it was a new covenant that the father had promised look at Jeremiah 31 I hope Jeremiah 31 there it is yes okay that should say Jeremiah Kids, this is why you shouldn't have done drugs in high school like I did. <laughs> Behold, should say Jeremiah, sorry. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Catch that right there, stop. I'm going to make a new covenant. Everything about this is something the Father had promised. I promise I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I promise I'm going to send my spirit upon you. I promise things are going to get different. That when Jesus Christ came, he was coming to do something new and to make this new relationship, this new agreement with people. And it's going to be with the house of Israel and the house of Judah and not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand uh, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Go to the next one. 
For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. When Jesus Christ came and the way that he was going to stable everything is that we found out over this last month there was a whole world in mutiny against God. They were living chaotic. They were living against who he was. And Jesus Christ comes in and on the cross he pays the penalty for sin. And in paying the penalty for sin then, he then raises from the grave, defeats death. And now he says that what he's going to do is to stable everything is not just that, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to stable you. And you know this, when instability hits, there is no more stabling force than the Spirit of God. I remember I walked in after the baby left. I've got my kids crying all around me. I've got my wife crying. I told them just to suck it up. (laughs) Not really. You know those moments where you don't know what to do? So I went back to my bathroom and I started to cry. God, what do I do? And the beauty of the Holy Spirit is Jesus promised in John 14, he will be a comforter. When you don't know what to say, he'll give you the words to say. When you don't know what to do, the Spirit of God will guide you into all wisdom. See what I mean by stabling? That this one that was going to come upon them, this new covenant was going to allow them to be this stable group of people that God wanted them to be. Jesus now, think about this, he was going to leave and all the stability that they had was found in Jesus, but now when he gave the Holy Spirit, the same stability that he provided them now was going to fall upon them and was going to stabilize them. He was going to provide what they needed in the moment that he left. Now you've got to imagine in their head they're thinking, well, great, now everything's going to get perfect. If that's the case, God, then everything must be going to just get honky-dory. That's what they thought. Look at verse 6. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time you're going to do it? This must be the time now, God, where everything is going to get perfect. Boy, were they in for a rude awakening. See, in the back of their head, that would have been a natural question. The natural question of all of a sudden the dude that they're hanging out with dies, gets buried, raises again three days later. Wouldn't you think something special is about ready to happen? Wouldn't you kind of go, I think we got a good thing going here. It would have beckoned to things like Psalm 72 and Psalm 89. They would have thought that at this moment, God is going to come back and he's going to judge the world. That this king that they promised, this forever king, is going to come and he's going to rule in righteousness. 
In some ways, they probably saw themselves as, or saw Jesus as a David-like one, this one that's in waiting, that, that Saul was, was kind of there, but here comes Jesus, and he's going to replace Saul, and all of the Israelite kingdom is going to be restored, and everything is going to be honky-dory, and they were going to be this new King David's ragtag army. Everything's going to be good. They probably thought in the back of their head things like even in Ezekiel 36 we find out that, it, that this king is going to come and he is going to reign. Don't put it up yet. I know. This is all my fault, by the way. I'm sorry. Even in the book of Isaiah now, and I'm confident about this, 4355, they really would have had in the back of their head this must be the time. This is the time that the king is going to come and he's going to set all things straight. All the mess that's in this world. I mean, just think about it. In our day and age, how many Christians are clamoring for the return of Jesus? Set things straight. Our world is a mess. And in the back of their head, that's what they're thinking. If we can just now have all things settled, everything is going to be good And even in Daniel 7, you'll see this, in which they were expecting this one, this son of man. And it says in there, Daniel, he says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory, a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Is it now? Jesus, is now the time? Jesus was making sure they understood that that type of kingdom that they're thinking about is unsteady. Whenever I put my hopes and my dreams in something that's not of God, whenever I, or let me put it this way, it could be of God, something other than God, there we go, let me rephrase that. When I put my hopes and dreams in my family, my family will disappoint me. When I put my hopes and my dreams in my spouse, although she is on the edge of perfection, I will be ultimately disappointed. When I put my hopes and my dreams in money, I will be disappointed. When I put my hopes and my dreams in my job, I will be disappointed. When I put my hopes and my dreams in my government or even in my governmental system, I will be disappointed. What he's trying to get across to them is this is so much bigger than a governmental system. He came to do something huge. Those things do not bring stability. We always think if I could just have this one thing, I would be stable. And Jesus wants them to understand that those things don't bring stability. Only he brings that stability. In fact, I think he was telling them something bigger. It's not about a time. He even says that to him. Look in there in verse 7. He says to them, look, it's not about a time. And you don't need to know the times or the seasons of the Father is fixed by his own authority. He wanted them to get and to understand that he was going to build a different kingdom. One day that kingdom will come. One day King Jesus is going to reign. He is going to sit on his throne. There will be a stability like we have never known before in which we will now worship God in new creation on a planet, the earth, that has now been resurrected in a powerful way. But he wants them to know now is not the time. 
He didn't come to earth to do a Jewish renewal project. He wasn't trying in any way to to restore that type of a kingdom. He was coming with a different kind of kingdom. He was going to restore humanity. Humanity that has fallen, that was rebellious against him. He came and he died to deal with sin. And now the Spirit of God was going to land on these people and they were going to be different. He was going to change the human condition. That's what his kingdom was going to be about. See, at the end of the day, this kingdom that he is trying to get across to him that brings stability, the most stability that we can have is the more and more we look like Jesus Christ. The difficulty is the path that we have to take to look like Jesus. Oftentimes we avoid trials, don't we? I looked at my wife when we were in the middle of our little trial this last week. I go, how can I pray for you? She goes, pray that it would fast forward by three months. I looked at her. I said, oh, do I wish that? But I think at the end of the day, don't you want to look more like Jesus? See, what he's going to do is he's going to change people. That's what causes stability. He's not about changing governmental systems right now. He's about changing people. See, this promise of the Father was not only that the Holy Spirit would fall upon them, but when he falls upon them, there's something that's going to happen internally where God is going to take the heart of stone out and replace it with the heart of flesh. These groups of people are going to become different. All these people that bend their knee to King Jesus are now going to be enveloped by the Holy Spirit in which they will be transformed and made different. See, this is what he's trying to get across to these guys. My kingdom will come But for right now, the king has arrived and he's going to change things. Everything got inaugurated. When Jesus Christ came back from the dead, everything was going to be new. This new covenant was going to reshape everything. But he wasn't going to create stability for stability's sake. Verse 8 shows us why he was going to create stability. He says, you will receive power, dunamis, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. Why is he creating steadiness? Because he wants to show his people off. He wants the world to see what it looks like when the kingdom of God invades the life of a person. He wants to show the world that we're different See, the church, we, we, let me just say it this way. I think what we've forsaken is, is that we think that the gospel is merely just this ascent to a set of factual information. That Jesus died, buried, rose again. If you believe it, then you go to heaven. That is not fully what Jesus was talking about. What he was talking about in the gospel is that we would be changed. See, the most powerful, and and I would say this, the most reassuring reality that I am a follower of Jesus Christ is not that I said a prayer at age 7 and 15. The most reassuring reality that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ is the power of the Spirit in me that's changing me. The church is about these outposts that Josh talked about of people that have been changed. We're different. We love differently. We talk differently. 
In fact, 1 Peter talks about this in chapter 3, that we are so different that the world demands an answer for the hope that we have within us. He says, I want you to be my, my martyros, my witnesses. I've done this in your life, he says, because I want, you to show, I want to show you off in the change that I've made in your life, all your lives as a church, and then I want you to tell people who I am. Tell them that I'm the king. Tell them, Philippians 2.10, that I will come back and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord. Tell them that I came and I came to give life, life unimaginable. Tell them, go and tell them. Live lives in front of them. See, sometimes we think that the reason that we're being good is just to be moral. No, we're being changed so that people will ask, who are you? Jesus says, that's my kingdom. My kingdom is these groups of people that get so radically transformed that people ask the question, give me an answer for the hope that's within you. He brings trials into their lives. He does everything that he does to show his people off. And I don't care what you went through this year, if it was a difficult trial, God did it to show himself off. He wanted you to to demonstrate what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. See, this last week, the, the thing from my wife and I was is that we've had all these foster kids go through our head. The one thing we've learned over and over is that God gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We hold on to kids loosely. They can come and they can go. The thing that always remains the same is Jesus. Remember I was talking about Peter? Remember when he failed the night of Jesus' crucifixion? Remember the order of his failure? The first one was a slave. The next one was a slave lady. Do you remember what the last one was? A slave girl. He got unsteady. But we're gonna find out in Acts 2 next week that when the Spirit falls upon him, Suddenly, Peter comes to life. That's what he's doing. See, the thing I hope for us as a church as we study the book of Acts is we'll see that in Jerusalem, look at this, Judea, look down in your text, Samaria, the ends of the world, that ultimately this church becomes an outpost of hope to people, that we champion helping one another to truly live the new covenant life, that we help one another for good deeds to come out of our life, that we dive in and we help people walk through trials for the good and the bad. But then I love verse nine. Look down at verse nine. They're all sitting there and you know in the back of their head they're going, we'll go to the ends of the earth. And it said when he said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud and took them out of their sight. You ever seen a helium balloon leave? That's kind of the Greek word here. He was just kind of drifting off. And what happens as it drifts away? What do you do? Oh, there it is. There it is. That's what they're doing. That's what that word gaze means. They're looking intently, trying to figure out where it's going. Getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And then look at verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, don't you love it? They're all like this. 
Behold, two men stood by them in white robes. White robes always signifies angels. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Why are you looking there? Jesus said, don't look there. He said, the ends of the world. Get your eyes down here. See, at the end of the day, God does want us preparing for his return. In fact, the way that he talks about it, the way he stabilized them, is that to take off in a cloud would have had huge Old Testament significance. To take off in that cloud would have been like the pillar that went in front of them while they were going through the desert. It would have been like the cloud that enveloped the temple. They were watching him go off, and then these angels say to him, don't worry, he'll be back. But in the meantime, be about the Father's business. The business of witnessing. Jesus Christ did not leave us on this planet to have better worship services. He did not leave us on this planet to have better fellowship. He did not leave us on this planet to do, I don't know, whatever. He left us here to tell the world. He's gathering a people. And it's going to go all over the world. Right now, around the globe, Jesus Christ has been worshipped in every continent because a group of people took it seriously and they went. This changed people that went from city to city and everywhere the gospel landed, people got changed. He steadied them. I've always found that the churches that are busy about the Father's business are steady. The churches that aren't busy about the Father's business are complainers and unsteady. Let's be about the Father's business. He is coming back one day. There will be a trumpet. There will be a shout. And King Jesus will be declared as Lord and every knee will bow. But what did they do now? In verse 14, when they weren't sure what to do, it says, they prayed. Today, if you need prayer, maybe you're like me, you're feeling a little unsteady. If you want prayer, today's the day we would love to pray for you. As we go throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see this idea of prayer over and over again. The thing that mobilized and moved God's people was the Spirit of God, but the prayers of His people. If you need prayer today, for whatever reason, we would love to pray for you. Maybe you're somebody in here that knows that you need to get baptized, that you need to bend the knee today and follow him into the waters of baptism and tell everybody that you want to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't know what to do. The Bible just says pray. So if you need prayer today, we'd love to pray for you. Now here's the deal as we go through Acts. I'm going to ask that as we come in here that we take this study seriously. It's a study of how the church was mobilized to change the world. As a pastor, I do not want to finish my time on this earth doing nothing but sitting around and having good worship services. I want to see people's lives changed. And I believe that God wants to do that work in our church. I believe God has been doing it, is doing it, will do it, but I want to see it more. 
I don't want to just show up every Sunday and just sing some songs and hear a message. I want to see groups of people living radically together, owning this thing, being stabilized in the mission. I want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. I want to hear the pitter-patter of new believer feet around here. I want to see the waters getting ruffled. And I think in it, this pattern that you're going to see develop all throughout the book of Acts will teach us what we need to be as a church if we're going to see that happen. Amen? All right, Father, thank you so much for today. Would you be exalted? In your precious name we pray. Amen.